the past, the present, the future. This is Friday Night Fright. What the planet is listening to. Hello, this is Ian Austin, Friday Night Fright fame. This is Thursday the something something of May and it's time for another podcast. You'll remember that my plan was to cover the Blair Witch movies one a week or three weeks, but in storylines, Mabel refused to have that. She was so upset by the first review, first commentary, whatever, that she said no more, so can't do that. Um, in actuality, it's because I don't want to fucking watch Blair Witch 2 again. No, in this podcast, we blur reality and fiction together into one thing I call Richen? Reality? I don't know, whatever the fuck. So that's not going to happen, but what is going to happen is um, during one of my... Um, quotation marks podcast planning sessions I occasionally have over Facebook chat um, they're planning sessions <laughs> we came up with an idea sometimes there's more than me more people than me who comes up with ideas for this podcast came up with a rousing idea for this podcast which was Ian's top 10 movies but with a twist because while these are technically movies and this is a 10 listing these are by no means my top 10 movies it was a um a scenario where someone is whose name who remain nameless came up with their top 10 movies top 11 movies which i won't repeat lists but it's particularly fantastic and it's a a warm memory i'll cherish forever because it's not often that you have to drag 11 movies out of someone they like and at the same time think, how does this list exist? But essentially the idea of the first list, the list I won't mention specifics on, was 11 movies which all deal with a different genre of sorts. And my concept was, you give me your movies and I would come up with 10 movies I like that are all connected to your ones. Sort of like Family Fortunes, where they ask you, name a popular fruit. Someone says apple, you say apple, they say no. So you have to say orange, despite the fact that orange is not your favourite fruit. You have to say a fruit, and hope that it's a popular consensus. So, it's not even top ten. This is 11 movies which apparently form my top ten. 11 movies forming top ten, isn't that wonderful? But here's the twist. I have to defend these movies to you. My loyal viewers, all my loyal listeners, all 11 of you, you have to listen to me defend a list of movies that looking at it makes me very, very embarrassed. So that's this episode, Ian defending his top 10 movies with 11 movies on it. So <laughs> number 11, Harry Potter and Prisoner of Azkaban. Defend Harry Potter and Prisoner of Azkaban? I don't need to defend it. Harry Potter and Prisoner of Azkaban is a magical movie by any resemblance, by any logic. It's by five best of Harry Potter movies. It's a very good movie on its own merits. It deals with time travel in an interesting way. It's a movie where you teen, where your kid, teen actors got shine for the first time. It's very compact, very condensed. It cuts a lot of the waffle from book down to make it into a movie. It's got very much a fairy tale quality. And generally, acting's great. But here's the rub. 
uh, I would never put this in my top 11 movies, and here's why. It's a competent blockbuster. That's no criticism, even remotely. Compton blockbusters are hard to do. Fundamentally, though, there's few problems I have with movie. Uh, the problems I have with movie are, one, the book's better. Yes, the book has a lot of waffle in it, but if you don't know the book, if you haven't read the book, parts of movie won't make any goddamn sense. And parts of movie don't make any goddamn sense. Does it rework as a movie? But then I remembered I meant to be defending this. So um, how would I defend this? Ah, Irish Dumbledore. How can you possibly be angry at Irish Dumbledore? Your listing of greatest movies of all time should always have one, one character in it who's Irish. But then you have to stop thinking, is Michael Gambon's Dumbledore even slightly Irish? And I would answer with probably not because Michael Gambon's not Irish. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> this is off to a great start. Um, what do I like about Harry Potter 3? I like that it's condensed. I like that it's very simple. Except it's not simple because it deals time travel, which gets very complicated. And then raises your question of why doesn't Hermione use that time travel shit in later movies? Maybe there's a fanfic out there that explains that. There's fanfic for everything is. I'm sure there's fanfics which are borderline disgusting about Harry Potter. Really inappropriate fanfiction, you know? Really just past the parcel style fanfiction, you know? Um, shit. Uh, <laughs> Harry Potter 3. Were I to defend this movie, how would I, ra- how would I defend it? Um, it's best of Harry Potter franchise. Uh, unfortunately, Harry Potter is not one of the best franchises. It's reasonably consistent. Overall, it's very good, but I never think that spark I felt in books, like when you read the sixth book in, seventh book and find out about Snake's bat story and it hits you hard, then you watch the movie and you think they're relying on Rickman being an amazing actor because none of this is translating with screen. But going back to defending Harry Potter 3, what I would defend it with is the best made movie of the bunch. It's not, I wouldn't say necessarily it's the most f- like fun to watch, but from a technical standpoint, this is the first one where it's sort of like we're not just translating the book, we have to adapt it. And they do a really good of adapting the book because it's made by a great director, the always awesome Mr. Curran, Karen. You know, I haven't watched many movies recently but stunning director very specific um visual templates and he did a really good job making this movie so i have to give credit for that but it's not even his best movie i know he didn't really make anything like this again but it's clearly still his best movie uh, not his best movie what am i talking about um <laughs> so yeah i i think um i've done a pathetic job of justifying this um movie on my top 10 list but top 11 list but this would be the movie that was number 11 so harry potter 3 um go watch it and because it's the 11th it doesn't matter because it's part 11 now it's time for the top 10 and number one on top 10 is the hugh jackman movie pan p-a-n um, which deals with the bat story of Captain Hook. And before I get into this, I should add that Captain Hook is the worst part of Once Upon a Time. 
And I, I really like Once Upon a Time, particularly the other seasons. He's the worst part of it. So in the entire movie about Captain Hook, oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's really terrifying, you know, because he's not a very good character. So that's that. Um, so in the entire movie about that story where you reboot him as a Han Solo style character, that's not inspiring. But what can you do? You need to sit and watch it. And when you sit and watch it, you realise two things very quickly. One, this wants to be Star Wars, and it's not Star Wars even remotely. This is as little Star Wars as you can get, which is not a good sign. And the other thing you quickly realise is this movie is certifiably batshit insane. Um, It's trying to take that template of Edgar Wright where you take a reasonably established story and tropes in this case a action adventure prequel story and trying to add some of your customary touch to it the only problem is the customary touches in this movie don't work at all for the material which on one hand serves make it a very interesting movie but on the other hand it's not a very good movie so naturally you're wondering how is this in how would you even consider this being in your top 10 list and i'd argue i never said it was I'm saying this is the 10 movies I wound up with by playing a Family Fortune style game via Facebook chat and I'm trying to justify them, which is very difficult. But I would always argue that Pan at least does one thing right and that's let Hugh Jackman do whatever the fuck he wants to do. Because Hugh Jackman is a weird anomaly in Hollywood because he's a leading man who has like who loves being a character actor. And loves getting characters, and he gets so theatrical as um Blackbeard, and know what you're thinking, Blackbeard. Hook, that doesn't make any sense. But there's a line from the book, Peter Pan, that says, Hook was the rent boy of Captain Blackbeard, and this movie doesn't show him being rent boy of Captain Blackbeard, but it alludes that they were buddies, amigos, friends familiar at one point not anymore because blackbeard hates hook blackbeard re hates hook you know and oh the oh this oh nauseating you know and then pete pan's in there somewhere but no one cares about pete pan because he's one of the worst characters in fiction as once one time established he is a horrible horrible character um so what exactly am i just find this movie in terms of being in my top 10 one of the most bafflingly stupid sequences in cinema history, which is a bunch of pirates singing Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, which seems to exist just so Hugh Jackman can sing the chorus in a way that suggests he's trying to reach the back row uh, in some Broadway theatre, you know? It is so staggeringly misplaced, but at the same time, it's my fine, most interesting, fun and weird part of the movie. And while it doesn't work for some people, including my some friends I have, who still haven't forgiven me and also sometimes stare at screen and have acid flashbacks to when I made them watch Hugh Jackman sing his little old heart out. But here's the rub. It's okay to shoot for the fences and miss occasionally. This movie misses, but tries. Trying and failing is better than not trying. No? This movie 
is a mess on so many levels, but I can't help but appreciate a movie which has the compunction to go huge at the niece, sing Nirvana, and run with it. The only sad part is that the movie doesn't commit to that more often, because if it's some weird genre-hopping musical action-adventure mess, the whole way through it would have been great. And it's also the fact that the term big-lipped alligator moment was invented for such a scene, which has no correlation with anything, and also raised questions, how does Captain Blackbeard know an advanced song by heart to lead a group of thousands of pirates strong singing it? And then do some core cool bat stuff. Who knows? But I definitely recommend Pan for that, because it is so stupid and it's very amusing. And two movies down. Number nine, Armageddon. Oh boy, um, this will shock you. I love Armageddon. I hardcore love it. Um, it is my favourite disaster movie. See, I can enjoy disaster movies, not very often, but sometimes. And this is by far my favourite. You know why? Because the disaster is tangible to the plot. Here's the truth about disaster movies. The more they focus on the actual disaster, the worse they are. Armageddon works because it casts one of the weirdest collections of actors ever compared, 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 compared on screen, contrasting, whatever. Weirdest group of actors ever jumped into, shoved into an ensemble. You got Bruce Willis, you got Michael Clark Duncan, you got Owen Wilson, you got Will Patton, you got Steve Buscemi, you got fucking John Rango. You got wait, John Renner's in this? No, he's not. You got Peter Stormare, you've got Billy Bob Thornton. So you got all these bizarre actors who don't fit in the same movie. And they're all teamed up together. Cause the plot is a bunch of fucking astronauts Ben Affleck's into a bunch of fucking astronauts going in space. No, it's not. The plot's a bunch of fucking oil drillers going in space. Because as Bruce Willis puts it, yo, these NASA engineers, they might be smart, but they can't drill. As Ben Affleck puts it, it's, it's probably easier to teach a NASA astronaut to drill than it is to teach a driller how to survive in space. But that's part of what I love about the movie. It embraces the stupidity in a way that something like Pan doesn't. It knows that it's a mess. It knows that it's a bunch of bullshit. Well, some of it does. I don't think Bruce Willis is aware and he's in one of the stupidest movies of all time. But him playing it so earnestly is actually a good thing because it fits in with the aesthetic you know he's the main character he's one who f- believes this shit is possible and he drives the movie while Steve Buscemi Mark Clark Duncan Pete Storm AL just fucking ham up in the background and also how can you hate Armageddon when it's clearly a movie where F1 involved the actors are having time for, apart from Bruce Willis who's a miserable misery old son F1 is having time for their life you just look at Michael like Duncan in this movie God bless his soul great actor who clearly knows he's in one of the stupidest things of all time and he's sort of like I'm going to be so enthusiastic that people are going to come out of this movie thinking Bruce Willis is a miserly old sod but that Michael Clark Duncan he's fourth life you know and even Steve Buscemi who Steve Buscemi came up through the independent scene in movies like Barton Fink Reservoir Dogs EC and it was nice at this point to see him taking gigantic paychecks for doing essentially the same thing but with less quality dialogue and writing and just embracing it playing motor mouth character perfected in movies such as con air and getting a lot of money for it instantly i'm getting no con air but why is con air's one of the best movies of all time and at this point you're starting to think ian 
none of these are horror movies. What the fuck is going on in this cool Friday Night Fright? And my answer to that would be, you have no idea what it's like making a podcast and getting first and realising you don't have a goddamn thing. You ain't got the enthusiasm to do a fucking commentary on Blair Witch 2. But you got to put something out. And this is what I'm doing. So the frightening part of this is just, I don't know, for this week, just call this podcast Friday Night Friday Night Friday I don't care. Just please, please, sometimes... You need to accept that your boy Ian doesn't have the fucking enthusiasm or the <laughs> anything. I work in the NHS, people. I'm just trying to get you an hour a week. As close to an hour as possible. Anything else, like, if it's good, I don't do this podcast for it be good. I do this podcast for it be like Armageddon. Something which might make you laugh, might make you think. But at the end of the day, it exists. That's it. So Armageddon is definitely the movie that exists. It's number nine. It has the concept space madness. It has fucking astronauts being talked down to by oil drillers. It has Bruce Willis saying he's going to save the fucking universe, which he kind of does. And it has Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck showing as little chemistry as possible, which is great because nothing says a Hollywood movie like two really quite attractive people who look at each other on screen and you think despite the fact that you two clearly should have chemistry you have none and then you stop to realize Bruce Willis has more chemistry with Liv Tyler definitely has more chemistry with Ben Affleck and you think what the fuck is going on and also who wrote this script it's terrible screenwriting is a dying form and it's proved by Armageddon because these actors save this shit. And it's not... It's 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 not... I'm not doing a very good job defending Armageddon. It's a movie. It ends. It's long. And it has uh, Aerosmith singing a song about not wanting to miss a thing with his daughter, Liv Tyler. And it's like, what, what do you mean you don't want to miss a thing? That's your daughter, dude. It's like, that's your daughter, man. And it's like, what? No, it's, don't don't say that. Anyway, I should jump along because this is getting weird. Anyway, number eight, Uncle Buck. Oh Jesus! Why did I put Uncle Buck? Um, <laughs> and now all I think of is the line from Quentin Tantino's Kirby. My name's Buck, and I like to. I'm not going to say it because Uncle Buck's a kids' movie. Um, here's a problem when you get to this point in the list. Uncle Buck isn't even my favourite John Candy movie. That was JFK until I tried rewatching JFK and I thought JFK is really, really bad on so many levels and except for Donald Sutherland, it's really, really poorly acted. Like I know back in the day everyone loved JFK, but I think we now know so much about Oliver Stone that we've all taken back whatever we said about JFK and we think Oliver Stone you you need to go you need to go away. You natural born killers, natural born curriculum, more like. Oh. Wait, Uncle Buck. Why do I like Uncle Buck? Well, it's a John Hughes movie. And as you get older, you appreciate John Hughes movies for one reason. He doesn't need to be vulgar. He's just a damn good writer. And he is one of the best writers to have come through Hollywood. Incidentally, the, it's not a list, but it goes. If you, you should have John Hughes, Quentin Tantino and Coen Brothers, Charlie Kaufman and 
oh shit, Aaron's talking on your favourite writers list if you like movies. There's lots of others, obviously, but those should be on your list. I mean, because they're great writers. They're really good writers. Distinctive. They write dialogue which flows like poetry. Okay, it isn't realistic, but who cares? Because movies make me fun. You know? And Uncle Buck is a fun movie. It's also a very weird movie in lots of different ways. Um, How weird? Well, um, it has a... (laughs) It has some scenes which, when I watched as a kid, probably should have been censored. Actually, probably were censored. Remember, my parents would fast forward through four weddings and funeral, so we never actually saw the naughty bits. I watched it as an adult, and I was like, this movie's disgusting. How, you know? But Uncle Buck was always, oh, it's always like one of those ones like King Garden Cop, where they made TV version, which was actually, to be honest, better than the actual version. Um... <laughs> you know, it's it's better than the actual version because TV versions of movies sometimes, especially in a movie like this, they move some swearing things like that. Like King Kong Cop didn't need those hookers and people dying. You know? It just need I'm going. It's not. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. I can't do voice, but like if I could, you'd hear it. Then we back Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck's the story of a downbeat dropout in his 30s, one can relate, whose brother and sister have kids. And brother and sister... Wait, what am I talking about brother and sister with kids? Fucking, fucking, um, his sister has a husband and they have kids. There's no, there's no incesting Uncle Buck, people. There's no incesting Uncle Buck. I would never say... Never accused John Hughes of having incest in one of his movies. Curly Sue is... We're not thinking about Curly Sue, okay? That movie doesn't exist. That's the one John Hughes movie which makes me cry. Because it's so bad. So unpleasant. And not because there's incest in it. Just because it's a really bad movie. <laughs> anyway, Uncle Buck is... um. It's funny because it's nice. It's nice and and nice is funny. Nice is good. But sometimes you just want to watch a nice movie. Like Only Lonely is a nice movie about a guy who um who dates a woman who sorts out cadavers and he pretties her up and they go in town. It's not problematic because it's the eighties. And to be honest, in the eighties, if you showed any affection towards someone who's a bit goth and a bit pale and liked hanging around for cadavers, you were a fucking saint. John Hughes is a good man. Was a good man, people. He's a good man. Anyway, back to Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck is um, it's a fun movie. It's a nice movie. And why can't movies be nice sometimes? You know, that's my defense of Uncle Buck. It's a nice movie. Don't hate on nice movies, people. Anyway, number seven, Gremlins. Da 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 that's enough to defend Gremlins. But also, Gremlins is a horror movie. Yay! We have jumped into a horror movie tonight, people. Yay! Look, if all you want here is horror, just listen to this part and turn the rest of the episode off. It doesn't let me know anymore who listens to what. So I don't give a shit. Like, just listen to enough of this so you count as a view, okay? Gremlins is... Oh, man. Gremlins. Um, Gremlins is... My favourite 80s movie after The Goonies, but unfortunately the person who I was playing this game with chose The Goonies because some people just want to see me cry. They want me to cry. 
Goonies may, may say never die, but Goonies will cry if you chose the movie they liked. You know? Also, can I take, take, yeah. can I take this occasion and say, Stranger Things, <laughs> Stranger Things, you are no Goonies, brother. You are no Goonies. No? No Goonies, you. You are no Goonies, Stranger Things. You can fuck off. Fuck right off with your communism and your fucking adventures and your fucking voids. Your voids and your monsters. Goonies never say die. They never say die. They never say die. And they actually were in the 80s, unlike your fake version of the 80s. You know, you, you ain't 80s. You ain't shit, Stranger Things. Anyway, back to Gremlins. Um, Gremlins is an amazing movie because it's funny and scary at the same time. Like the original Scream. Movies are funny and scary. It's a difficult trick to pull off because sometimes movies are funny, sometimes they're scary, but never scary funny except with Gremlins and Scream. Gremlins is also a perfect script. It goes back to my theory that add Christopher Columbus, add early days Christopher Columbus to greatest writers because he was clearly influenced by old school horror. And playing up the fears and things like that. Sure, there's a few problematic parts of Gremlins, like the fact that the Ch- Chinese characters, I, I, sorry if they're not, but Chinese, like, uh, very, very sketchily presented. But at the same time, they're most mature characters in the movie, and they know what they're doing. But it's such a cool movie. It's got a really nice sort of theme to it. It's got some great acting. Phoebe, um... Oh, shit. What's her name? Phoebe... Shit. Phoebe, um... Uh, I'm not going to Google. I'm not going to Google, by the way. I'm not doing it. I'm just, um... I know she married Kevin Klein. Yeah. Um, Phoebe Gremlins. No, I don't want Phoebe Gremlin. I don't want Phoebe fucking <laughs> Greek mythology. I don't give Phoebe Cates. She was amazing. This and uh, her scene about her dad falling down the chimney at Christmas. It's actually weird because that's the first time movie. You're sort of like, holy shit, there's some real acting going on here. And then you realise retroactively it was there all along. You know, it's like it's like your spirit, your mojo. It's there all along. It was there all along, Austin. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. But yeah, Gremlins is um It's just one best it's the best Christmas movie, by the way. You know, I know everyone argues but over whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. But this is the Christmas movie. I mean, I don't know about you, but I love meet a gremlin. I'd love it. I am serious, I'd love it. I just love hanging out with a gremlin, you know. It's like my, my one of my dreams is to get drunk with a bear. And now you're thinking, Ian, you would die. But I would pick my moment. You know, I, I think if you're going to get drunk with anyone, you need to establish a certain level of trust first. But once you establish that trust and that you won't you won't say the wrong thing and Bear won't scratch your eyes out, once you establish that we're, we're, we're friends, we're bros, I think it might be possible. It might take a long time to get to that moment. And also I might have to have certain precautions in mind. But... What's I saying? Yeah, Gremlins. I'd love, I'd love to hang out with Mogwai. You know, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to hang out with Mogwai 
at Christmas, just sit outside, and I'd be like, sing a song, and Gremlin would, and I'd be like, come on, sing the song, it would sing it, and I'd be like, ha ha ha, deal or no deal, and then Gremlin would be re-upset, and be like, why have you said that, and I'd be like, because you know, the, 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 the guy who plays you, Howie Mandeo, he was on deal or no deal, and Gremlin would be like, I ain't playing that shit, man, don't say that, it'd be, it'd be an issue at that point. But anyway, you should watch Gremlins. Gremlins is great. It's, Gremlins is great. Goonies never say die, but Gremlins is great. Gremlins is great. Oh, God, I'm so tired. Um, shit. And i got six more left. Um, Once Upon Time Hollywood is number six, which... Uh, here's the thing. I never, I don't remember if I did a review of Once Upon Time Hollywood for this podcast... I don't remember much best podcast, to be honest. But I do remember I loved the movie. I've only seen it once, but it is probably the best first viewing of it. No, that's a lie, actually, because the first time you watch Pulp Fiction fucking transform you, transforms you in so many ways because it's one of the best movies of all time. And I actually watched Pulp Fiction last year in cinema, and I was reading script today because I have a script book. And it just blows me away because you take for granted, but... It's literally, like, I know we talk about perfect scripts a lot on this podcast, but that is literally a perfect script. And I don't know who authored what, you know, Roger Avery has some, you know, claims and shit like that, but if it wasn't all written by Tantino, at very least he edited that script into that order, and it's just... I mean, lots of people try to translate books into movies and fail. Tantino doesn't do that, so, you know... Like, what he does is create movies that have the characterization of a book because everything in his movies is flawless. And that goes right back to Once Upon a Time Hollywood, which is a throwback movie. And what I like most about it is it feels like a throwback movie. It feels like something from the 70s that be made by a Coppler or Scorsese where it's in no rush to get where it's going. It's not a move about action. You watch something like Godfather and you're so immersed in the atmosphere and the intensity and slow burn of it. And once upon a time, Hollywood's exactly like that. You know exactly where it's going to end. You don't know how it's going to end, but you know where it's going to end up. It's like a horror movie in that regard because it's working up to that final moment. But the whole of the movie is just... I, I, I would... He's threatened to make a Ming series about it for Netflix or turn it into a Ming series, and I would be all in for that because I love the universe he's created. I know he hasn't created these, you know, real story and things like that, but he's added his own elements to it. But it's just Tantino's movies are great because you just sit back and think, this guy is a fucking master of cinema, and I would be happy just to sit here, chew the fuck out, and just watch his movie. No, that's it. You just chew the fuck out, and you know you're going to be watching something made by someone who knows exactly what he's doing. And be honest, in this day and age, that's really rare because most, a lot of directors, and say it's, it's with as little nastiness as possible, they don't know what they're doing. They can make movies, but they don't know what they're doing, and it's a dying art form because I find people like Coen Brothers and Tantino. They've made a living mostly just making their own fiction, you know? That's it. They didn't make big-budget movies. They haven't... I know Tantino's talking about doing Star Trek, but Lord, Lord on Heaven, I hope he doesn't, because he's better than that. 
And don't wait. My attitude that's always been, for a long time, I thought Tarantino's wasting his life making these juvenile movies. But recently, if the amount of blockbuster movies that have been coming out and terrible horror sequels and things like that, it's amazing that someone has been, and Coen Brothers is the same thing, have been able to have their own distinct corner where they're allowed to make the movies they want to make without compromise. They do collab, but they're not, told you have to do this, you have to do that it's more of a collaboration but they're allowed to it's not like I hate big budget blockbuster movies, I love Far From Home I thought that's a really good Spider-Man movie and a really good combat movie and a good blockbuster movie but cinema needs more movies like Once Upon a Time Hollywood. I know a lot of people, I know Mark Commode said it's very safe indulgent but I'm like, I don't mind safe indulgence as long as it's good, you know why how can we complain about cinema like this and say it's not a good thing? Because it absolutely is a good thing that some like Tantino is making stuff which works for him, works for mainstream audiences, and works for the art house crowd. He's combining everything. And that's jaw-dropping, and he's doing it with good dialogue. It's just stunning work. Like, he's... Literally going to go down as one of the best directors and writers of all time. And probably, I think he's probably up there with Kubrick for writer director. Kubrick for writer directors. I know Kubrick didn't write everything, but he did write, co co write, and rewrite a lot of his movies. But Tarantino, to me, feels like not exactly modern day version of Stan Kubrick, but as close as we can get because he takes his time making movies, he makes the movies he wants to make, and he makes stuff that puts F on his to shame. You know? Like, I went back and I watched Reservoir Dogs a few days ago. It puts crime movies today to shame. And it's just so good. Like, I watched Django Unchained, I watched Hateful Eight, and sort of like Tarantino's the one man who's like, I'm making movies I want to make. You won't, you won't watch them, that's fine. You don't, I don't care. I'm making what I want to make. And it's so uncompromising, it's inspiring. And his use of structure and like irony and setup and path and foreshadowing and miss on scene is unmatched. This is a guy who can literally have entire stretches of movie that you never see, you know, happen entirely off screen. But, like, for example, in um, QB, when you've got Hattori Hanzo, he's literally feeding half the back, all that story you need, but left you with unanswered questions because he's smart enough to realise you don't need to know everything. You just need to know this, this and this, and you can fill in rest. But at the same time, he probably does know everything. Like, he puts it with the briefcase in pop fishing. He knows exactly what it is, but he's more interested in what you think it is. The audience is allowed to fill in gaps, and people have this weird attitude of, it shouldn't be my job to do it. And I'm like, bullshit, it shouldn't. Yes, it should be interactive and audience-friendly. You should feel after you watch a movie, man, I'd love to see this, this, and this. And then you start thinking about what would happen with those characters in the past. Like... With Bill and Bud, for example, we never find out what separated them, but you can come up with dozens and dozens of theories, which will keep movie fresh. And all of your theories are correct, because Tarantino doesn't actually feel neat to tell you which one is valid. Right. Sorry about that. Number five, A Knight's Tale. 
Um, what can I say about Knight's Tale? It's my favourite sci-fi movie. Well, no, it's not. It's one of my favourite sci-fi movies. And the reason is because the only way I can rationalise a Knight's Tale is by it taking place in the future. Because otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. And the reason it doesn't make any sense is because of the amount of acron- anachronisms in the movie. And obviously, you can throw it away. It's moving all that. Uh, but I just think it takes place in the future, because that's more fun. You know, like, we've devolved back to medieval days, which at this fucking rate, we're probably close to doing. I mean, Jesus Christ. America, you have Trump, and we have fucking Boris. And Russia's Putin? Like, what the fuck? I don't even know France has. I know Kander as a guy, Jock Trudeau, or whatever his name is. But you just... Politics don't make any sense to me. I'm not going to argue them. But Nice Tale is a really good movie. Essentially, it's a Rocky movie, but with um, jousting. And jousting isn't inherently cinematic. So they have to make up a lot of shit and, you know... There's a lot of bollocks to it, and the romance subplot feels weird, except for that amazing um, David Bowie dance sequence. But overall, I really like it. I, For some reason, I'd say it's my favourite Heath Ledger movie, but really, that's 10 Things I Hate About You, which, you know, someone stole. I couldn't use that. It was used by some ears. That's just cruel, too. You took Goonies and 10 Things I Hate About You. And I know someone's going to say, what about Dark Knight? In which I'd say, I like Dark Knight, it's fine, it's really good. Then, But it's not necessarily my favourite. And then they say, what about Brokeback Mountain? I would say, my issue with Brokeback Mountain, it wasn't gay enough. Now, if you couldn't do it, go out, go all out, you know? Like, just embrace it. What do I know? I'm just a 34-year-old recording podcast on Thursday evening. Number four, I'm sure you'll think it's cheating, but I put Django Unchained. And the reason I put Django Unchained is because it's a amazing movie by any metric, but especially if you have knowledge of westerns. And okay, I don't have great knowledge of westerns, but I was brought up re-watching a couple, and I know enough to get by. And I love the main homages to westerns. And I think that's enough one thing Tarantino does where he makes movies that, en- that anyone with a semblance of cinematic understanding can enjoy, or basic cinema understanding, but movies are so much better when you know exactly what he's referencing. They really are. And also, he's brave, you know? Like, because I know Spike Lee has an issue with Tarantino, and I don't want to speak on that because... You know, Spike Lee's entitled to his opinions, but I think Tarantino's fascinating because he's one few directors which who mainstream directors, you know, re-mainstream, who's actually okay with discussing class and issues of racism and that sort of thing. And okay, you can argue and he does in a slight haphazard way, he's a bit too preoccupied with the N-word and things like that. And you know, it might seem a bit like appropriation, but at the same time it's like He's uncovered the trick, which is if you make movies which entertain people, and this feels definitely like a movie which is somewhat inspired by something like Blazing Saddles, where Blazing Saddles was filled with rate with issues of class and race and sexism, but was entertaining at the same time, so messages resonate with people. If you make movies which fucking dull as dishwater, then no one's gonna give a shit. They have like I'm not saying make see action movie. But they have to be entertaining, otherwise it's just lost on people. Like, I don't give a shit what anyone said. Shoes was, was a harsh, harsh movie to watch and beat me down. But at the same time, I was like, 
I, I just think I would watch this more if it was fun. I've watched it twice, and it's an artistic triumph on so many levels. But on other levels, it's like Jesus Christ. This is some a some saccharine bullshit, and b it's not entertaining. You no know, Spielberg, you you could throw a few jokes in there. You know, I'm sure Shingler told a few tooth rattlers in his time. But some people are happy being worthy rather than being good. So, anyway, speaking of worthy rather than being good, number three, Boyhood. And I, I just want to start out by saying I've seen the Red Letter Media review of Boyhood, and you know I'm not judging. You know they're 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 pretty astute guys, and I don't disagree with their opinions on lots of things. But I think their Boyhood Boyhood video review was a mess, and I'll say why. Spent all of those years criticizing blockbusters, and then movie which is as anti-blockbuster as you can get, which is clearly a labor of love, clearly made for the right reasons, and they still criticize it. Here's the thing about Boyhood: Boyhood, by any metric, is one of the better slice of life movies you'll ever see. Does it have a plot? No. But I'd argue plot is not needed necessarily for a movie as long as you're capturing theme, atmosphere, and there's certain amount of character development. We see the boy grow up from a young age to an adult. That's the story of the movie. Now, does a lot happen? No, because it's in capturing a slice of life elements every year over the movie. A movie's about a boy grown from a boy to a man. And we see that gradually in a certain fascinating way because it is an exceptionally made movie. And I know people jump to the, oh, it's made over a dozen years, and they're like, oh, what does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. It's sort of like, no, you're right, it doesn't mean anything, except when it's made by a really, really fucking good director like Richard Linklater, who makes it mean something. No, who's a fucking great writer-director by any metric you have who's made something which really resonated no like i i just i find sometimes people are negative about movies just be negative and okay i i am too sometimes i'll admit that stuff like hereditary i was a douchebag about and i feel sorry i apologize to ari astor if he ever listens to this podcast he probably never would because he's got better things to do like making director's cuts of all of his movies which go back to Sing Mars. I didn't like Red Terry, I'll say I wasn't impressed, but you know, sometimes you can be an asshole about not being impressed things for the sake of a podcast. And I think sometimes you play up some of your attitudes like I I, I doubt I have that much animosity towards Red Terry. I think watching it and doing commentary on it, sometimes you exaggerate certain things. I didn't like it, but I mean I don't really think that enough. I think the only time you hate something is when you can't stop thinking about it. And I don't think about movies like Hereditary. I watched them and then like I I I didn't like audition either. But after I watched audition and things that country, I didn't give any more thought. Very rarely do. Anyway, back to Boyhood. I I love it. I I think if you view it as a slice of life movie which encapsulates a period of time. And the coming page, it's fantastic. It's really good. And it does such a great job of feeling organic and real. And also has two staggeringly good performances by Patricia Arquette and, um, shit, um, 
oh, Ethan, what's his name? Ethan Hawke, who are Richard, who just get what Richard Linklater is trying to do. And also it's fascinating because most people are looking at how boy ages, but you get to see how these two actors age. And wow, you know, like they visibly change their acting styles as they get older because it's made year on year. So they're doing little things they wouldn't do previously here and it's great. Number two, Stardust. Um, because my the person I was playing this game with picked a Princess Bride and trying to story about Princess Bride, I almost got thrown out of the cinema because I was being an arsehole while I was watching Princess Bride. It was all me. It wasn't personalised with. It was all me. It's all me, you know. It's always me. I'm always the bad guy. Um, you know, I, I was saying things about Idris Elba. I shouldn't have said, apparently, but what can you do? Um, fucking Stardust. Um, yeah, it's a really good, um, really good movie. It's um, fun. It's um, one of the movies Matthew Vaughn made, which everyone thought, wow, this guy's got future. It was Layer Cake and Stardust. And it's like one, two, hit off. My God, he can do anything. Then made Kick-Ass, and they thought, we can do certain things. Then made X-Men First Class, and they thought, well, this is pretty good for an X-Men movie. And then made fucking Kinsman, and everyone's like, hang on, mate. I, here's the thing about Matthew Vaughan. I think he's a great director and very good writer. I just feel like he peaked with his first two movies. And I know a lot of comments say people like Tarantino or Kevin Smith did, but Matthew Vaughan really did, because holy shit, like... I know he wants to make as many different types of movies as possible. Apparently, although he's making his third Kingsman movies, and fourth for some reason. But Lair Cake was as good a debut movie as you, you can have. Literally, literally one of the best crime movies ever made, in my opinion. Um, not ripping off Tarantino either, just a completely different aesthetic. Stardust... Um, Probably as good a fancy movie as you can make, which is not Princess Bride. Um, and um, just riveting movie. Great performances. His first team up, Mark Strong, which has been really good for his career. I mean, Mark Strong's better than the sort of movies he used to make, Matthew Bourne, but that's fine. Um, and just the fancy elements, really cool. The romance was organic and earned. Um, lovely movie really good adaptation book and nice ending so the stardust very much recommended which comes to number one almost famous which um here's the thing about almost famous i'm aware it's problematic it's really 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 problematic and that's not their fault entirely i understand you know times changing all that and it was the 70s and even a romanticised view of 70s is still going to be problematic. You know, I don't know if anyone's read that book by the former road of Led Zeppelin, which everyone, all band claims is lies, but everyone who has a clue knows is probably almost entirely truthful. It's like the bands and artists back then were fucked up and really fucked up. And the movie skirts that a bit, but... But at the same time, it is a the best movie, the second best movie I've made about writing. I don't love it adaptation, but I would say that's more art and more arty version of what it means to be a writer. But this movie is just Cameron Crowe's love letter to music and writing, and he really nails it. It's the 
best performance of Patrick Fugit's career, who incidentally, that guy is such a good actor, and it's such a shame that his career never really hit heights of this, because he does the, one of the best jobs I've ever seen of being an author avatar, but at the same time bringing a warmth that the person he's being avatar of doesn't necessarily have. Um, shit, what's her name? Fucking Kate Hudson is so good in this movie as someone who knows exact, who knows definitely that you know she's stuck in something she rather not necessarily be stuck in. She's trying to make the best of it. The scene where she cries when she realizes she's been traded for a can six pack of beer and then asked laughs and then asks what sort of beer it was. That's as good as Sigma gets. No, she she's she was a star, but like Patrick Fugit, no one except Cameron Crowe knew exactly what Nerva and her career stagnated as a result, but and then you get further into the characters, you get Billy Crudup, you get Jason Lee, you get King um Philip Seymour Hoffman as the best mentor in history of Sigma. And let's take a moment to think of how amazing Philip Seymour Hoffman was and how shame that his life ended that way because it doesn't sell his legacy but you especially nowadays you feel like where all these like oh these big actors do Hollywood movies and like villains and they're not very good in them and his one stint of that was Mission Impossible 3 and he was literally one of the most chilling villains in the history of Sigma. I mean, when you're at opposite Tom Cruise and you're fucking destroying Tom Cruise visibly, and Tom Cruise is just powerless to do anything about it in terms of how you're acting, chilling, amazing, you know, really, really good, and not playing down to material. So he's definitely one of the great actors, and I just love this movie. I know it's problematic, but... I, I, I equate it with Chasing Amy, where Chasing Amy is inherently problematic. I get that, but at the same time, it's real. It feels real. So anyway, there's my top 11 movies. Um, I know I've only got 50 minutes, but I don't really give shit tonight. I just want to get this done, because I've got to shave, and then got to do some stuff later on. So i got a meeting tomorrow at work. So there you go. There's my top 11 movies. This is what happens when we... A break the podcast on Thursday evening. I'll um I'll be back next week. Uh, fucking continuous Mabel storyline bullshit because I I think people care about that. You know? but this is in Austin. Signing off for this week, saying remember, life is beautiful. And occasionally serves this podcast. Goodbye, everybody.